say good morning, church. Have you considered your calling? You have a calling. Praise God, we have a calling. And uh, our message is uh, Christ crucified. Is the very power of God, the very wisdom of God. And uh, to the world, that can be foolishness. As we uh, kind of looked at the uh, text last week, But we know to us it's life. It's our very power. The whole redemptive plan of God is foolishness to anyone who uh, does not know the ways of God. They don't know Him. It's foolishness. Uh, it's offensive to them, we've seen, to, uh, to the Greek, to the Jew. But to us it's the very power of God. Now the Gospel, as we look at when we talk about the cross being foolishness and the Gospel being foolishness, there's... Uh, a paradox there. A gospel story can be full of paradoxes, actually, because when you, when you know that there's a lost and dying world, the gospel doesn't make sense. It can't until God comes in and does a work in them. We know that. It's, it's Him that opens them up, opens their hearts up. We've heard some of the paradoxes. You must lose your life to gain it. And if you weren't a Christian, I don't think you would really understand what that means. How about the first will be last, and the last will be first? That's a different one too, isn't it? When I am weak, it's when I'm strong. Whatever was gained to me, I count as loss. Whoever wants to be the greatest must be the servant of all. We pursue God, but He actually pursues us. These all seem contradictory. Which was a security surprise. An unbelievable one, it sure would be. You can see why it would be ridiculous to one foolish. Actually, these truths are precious. They're precious promises. Precious jewels are truth. The very wisdom of the Creator God. Now, do you guys hear a, a ringing out there? I don't know why that is happening. Actually, you usually see rings. You don't hear rings, do you? You know. Penny's, Penny's thinking that kind of ring, right? So anyway, he's chosen the foolishness of preaching to be done by his ones who he has chosen. People like us. People who are the least likely according to the world. And uh, our fleshly ways, I think, if, if we were to think in our flesh, we would not have ever chosen the way that God has done things. The ways, the millions of ways that God has done things. It always seems backwards and upside down. problem is the world is upside down. His ways are so far above any of our thoughts. Our thoughts are very lowly compared to what His thoughts are. So as we move along in the, the first uh, chapter of Corinthians, we've seen Paul kind of introduce this thought already in this previous section that we looked at. What he's going to do now is expand on that idea, this foolishness of Christ, and describe the weak and the lowly now. He's going to uh, show the benefits of these instruments that he uses. He uses the weak and the lowly to shame the great of the world. It's an amazing thought. And 
as we look at this, I think we see it is meant to encourage the Corinthians. But I know every time we read this section, it certainly has to encourage us because if you're a Christian, you identify with all of this. When it talks about that there are not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty and not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And we'll read that, all that text in a, in a moment. But you can think of the Corinthians and the lifestyles that they used to have and now, as Paul has led many of them to the Lord, Christ has brought his elect in Corinth to him, their former lifestyles are now shedding off of them. And they're losing some of the identity they used to have, which is a good thing. They became converted and it became quite a cost to them to live in a city like Corinth and in a country like uh, Greece and, and the, uh, the Roman world, which offered so many different other things and the, the things that they had done. And so what God does is He calls the ones He loves out of that darkness that they were living in, that they thought was the way. He brings them out of that into His light. And He gives them all these benefits. One thing is, Nobody recognizes all those benefits at first. But they do start shedding things off of them. But they have been sinful, broken people. Same as us. And they had a need of a Savior. And they embraced Him whenever He came to them. And they saw that He was their only hope. They saw that they needed forgiveness. And that He was their all-satisfying treasure. He's it. So when Christ calls His people, His elect, His chosen, and He start, what happens is that His people now start to see the wisdom of God that seemed to be so contradictory before, and they turn from foolishness to astounding wisdom. And that's what the Corinthians, who were believers, inherited. There's still a problem. There's still a lot of problems as we look in the book of Corinthians where there are believers there that Paul writes to and they still have sin in the church. And he's already addressed them on their factions and the party spirit that they had. And he's wanting them to, to drop the philosophy and the favorite teachers that they have even in the Christian realm and pursue Christ and the truth. And not to be boasting in anything but Christ. Uh, so they had been boasting of who they were following. I'm of Paul. Another one says, I'm of Apollos. You know the drill there, how that goes. But Paul tells them, here's what God has done for you. And you did nothing. So you have nothing to boast in whatsoever. That's what Paul is going to say. So therefore, if that be the case, they have nothing to boast in. There should be no division. There should be no strife. There should be nothing but unity and completeness in the person of Christ. So what we're going to do today here is take a look at these great blessings that the Corinthians get, and we do too. We have the same blessings that they had, and, and Paul addresses that. Uh, why don't we uh, stand for the reading of God's Word we can't have enough of God's Word, as it was read earlier in, in the prayer. You know, don't you just starve and hunger for that? Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 26. 
For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you were in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Father, we thank you for this precious truth, and as we look deeper into this passage, may your Holy Spirit guide us into your truth. Amen. God called you. You like that? God called you. Beautiful. I love this passage. Every Christian can identify with this. Now, there are a couple of kinds of calls in the Scripture. There is the general call. And that's the call, of course, that goes out to all people. We are given that gospel to take everywhere. As you go, wherever you're, as you're going about, your daily business and such. And we are to take that gospel to them. Make disciples, right? And, and, and call them to, to Christ. Give them the general call that they uh, have an offer of salvation there. A forgiveness of sin. And yet at the same time we know that scripture says many are called but few are chosen. Pretty uh, amazing verse. God can have us, He uses us to call people, but there are few there be that find it. There are few that chosen compared to all the ones who have uh, been in unbelief, I guess, in a sense that He's saying that. But there are specific people is what we're really getting at here. We're calling it the effectual call. For you see your calling, brethren. You see your calling. Look at it. Check it out. Be thinking about it a lot. Do you guys do that a lot? Do you think about the calling that you have? Calling into Christ. That's the effectual call that always results in redemption. It always results if, in, in, in a saving faith. Because God, if He has a specific call to people and He has chosen them, they will come to Him. All that the Father has given to the Son, says in John 6, what? Will come to Him. Now, Paul here is referring to this work of God that is the calling from the darkness into the bright, glorious light of the gospel of the Son of God. Glorious gospel. Out of death into life. Dark light. Death. Life. Extremely different, aren't they? And that's what he did. He called us out of there. The the call is the work of God that opens our eyes. Opens our eyes to see this truly powerful, all-wise, omniscient, omnipotent God, this beautiful Jesus Christ, and for the first time we see how compelling that He is and how great. And we receive Him for salvation. 
Because God calls. God's call is a life-giving command. It's a command. He commands all to repent. The ones who are chosen will come. And He says, come. If you're a believer today, that's how you got saved. It's like He said, come. If you're a believer, He called you out of darkness into that marvelous light. This call was effectual. It was effective because God is not defective and calls everybody and only some come in the sin, and He chooses everybody but not all come. Then He's not an all-powerful God. He can't save all. The cross didn't accomplish its work when He said it is finished. He paid the price for His people and produced in you what it called for. It was like the effectiveness of a command that someone uses to wake you up. Have you ever been in a deep sleep and all of a sudden somebody came into the room and said, Wake up! And usually, if something said that loud, especially with a microphone, you're probably going to hear it. Although sometimes I've been known to sleep through thunder and lightning and not ever knew what happened. Until I went out the next day and said, what happened? What's, what are all the branches down about? What, what went on here? Wake up. People bolt upright. It's like um, there was a man who had died for three days. He was in the grave. By the way, his name was Lazarus. And what did Jesus say? Lazarus, come forth. He came out of the dead. <laughs> Out of the dead. But, you know, um, it's not like people hear the command. And then they think about that command and they ponder on it. And then they decide to wake up. Whenever he makes the effectual call, that effectual call, he may work on people for years and years, but when he brings that effectual call, they will wake up. They will be enlightened. The, the command accomplished what it commanded. Wake up. That's what John Piper uses as an illustration. That's the way God raises us up from spiritual death. And only God can do that. Now there's a paradox that I was talking about. And he uses that in these phrases here. That not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and on and on. The paradox sounds like an apparent contradiction. Can you imagine somebody reading that for the first time and not knowing the ways of God? They go, what? I don't know what I just read. He doesn't need human wisdom. God doesn't need human wisdom at all. In, in order to do that, He grants His salvation. What He does, is He grants it to humble, simple people. People that are like little children who recognize they are totally dependent. Little children are totally dependent on their parents, aren't they? And so, therefore, we recognize we're totally dependent on Him. We, we stand as a living testimony to the world that God does not need human wisdom. Not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble the intelligentsia of the world, the power elite, the people with the money and all of the influence, the nobility. It's 
showing nothing to God. I mean, he doesn't need that. <laughs> he can use that to further his kingdom if, if he so desires, but he doesn't need it. He doesn't need us, but he does use us. The world looks at three things, I, I think, if we, we look at this right here, to determine how somebody is great. One would be the education of people. As he says here, not many wise, or if you look at verse uh, 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, the foolish versus the, quote, wise. So the world looks at education. And the world says, this is the answer. This is what you have. If you don't have an education, you are considered to be lower than other people. You are dirt if you haven't completed high school and college and maybe if you don't have uh, a degree, a doctor's degree. You know, so uh, it's like, how are their brains? What kind of education do they have? If they don't have an education, uh, we don't need you. Another determining factor is power, influence, money, popularity, fame. If you have that, and what family you come from. You come from a family that would be uh, known and somebody that would be uh, one that would have power. Another one that they look at is how you rank in society. What position you have. What kind of job you have. So the world looks at those things and they judge you on those. God has a different way of how He judges people. Aren't you glad He doesn't judge you upon education? Because if He did, how much is enough education? College? A doctorate degree? How about a double doctorate and all the other degrees? Is that enough? Is that enough? Or aren't you glad that God didn't call you on account of you were so smart and you knew how to make money? And so he calls you into the kingdom because of that? Well, how much is enough money? It's ne you never have enough, do you? Or, or the nobility? Do you have a great political position? Well, how high is that? You have to be president. Well, God's ways are really different. I'm sure that we would have done something different, wouldn't we? We tend to look at people and size them up on those kind of things too, don't we? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So much higher. We can't compare to this great God. Wow, it's amazing. God grants us salvation to simple humble people simple people did you know that God actually hides things from some and reveals them to others Matthew 11 25 a remarkable verse and I'm sure that the world would say that's not fair and I've heard some people say well if that's the way that God is I don't want that kind of God I want a fair God. Oh, yeah? You want justice, huh? <laughs> At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, 
that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, the wisdom of the world, and have revealed them to babes, nobodies. You brought those truths to people that most people would look down upon. Luke 10.21 says the same thing, and there's one little extra addition on this. Luke 10.21. Remarkable statement, isn't it? In that hour, Jesus rejoiced. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, Did you know Jesus enjoyed life? Did you know He actually rejoiced? He rejoiced. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. And look at this sentence. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. He took pleasure in revealing certain heavenly truths to certain people that he chose and did not reveal those truths to others. Is that difficult to your mind? It should be. His ways are much higher than ours. Is that mind-blowing? He took pleasure in that. He enjoyed doing that. To reveal it to certain people. Have you ever had truths and secrets that you only took to other people and you had your enjoyment in sharing it with that person and nobody else got in on that? You have the right to do that, don't you? Well, God certainly, who is the master of the free will he can do that I'm sure people can get upset at that thought that is hard that's a hard statement look in James chapter 2 verse 5 James is quite a hard book James 2 5 listen my beloved brethren has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? There He's talking about, yes, the poor will be getting into the kingdom of God. And for the most part, that's the ones He uses. Now how He determines poor, sometimes I'm not sure what that really means, but... I know one thing, it starts with recognizing you're poor in spirit. And, uh, it's not that he will not have people who make money in the kingdom of God. We, we know that. You, know, you look at uh, many passages throughout Scripture. But what we're saying is the norm is, is that he calls the ones who seem to be the least likely. The ones who maybe um, were the, maybe even uneducated, simple people. Uh, for the most part, have always in history kind of constituted the makeup of the church. If you look at the early church and how they had to share with each other, the reason is they stand collectively as a testimony and a rebuke against the world. For if we had it all and came from a great stock, a great family, and had education up to here and all of that and were famous and people just loved us we certainly would be the ones that God could use for heaven right just like the Gentiles stand to make Israel jealous as it says in Romans 
He also uses the foolish, the simple. They stand as the redeemed people to make the wise, the quote, lies of this world jealous. And uh, there are many thoughts on what Christians are from the secular world. We'll get into that moment, but... As we saw the last time, the simplest person without any education who knows God knows more than the greatest philosopher in the world who doesn't know God. A great philosopher could know God, but most of them don't. They're seeking out other wisdom. What a rebuke that is to human wisdom, isn't it? Whenever he takes somebody that is so simple and they have the wisdom of where they came from and, and how they're to live and where they're going and all the precious promises and truth that are in Scripture and this wise philosopher out here with all the degrees and famous for all that he does and the simple person makes him look like a peon. And he doesn't know it. But to God's eyes, he does. Now, verse 27 and 28 in our Corinthians talks about God's choosing. God's ways are just so different than the world, aren't they? So he says, I want you to consider your calling. If you consider this calling for one thing, for, for one problem that they have of divisions and strife there in Corinth, if they consider how they became Christians, it might stop all of that sin. should be enough to consider, right? If they would do this. Verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. He's already said called in verse 26. 27, he uses the word chosen the weak things. If you look in verse um, 28, and the base things of the world and things which are despised, God has chosen. Those words are there. They're there for a reason. And most people stray away from that word. Chosen, called, election predestination, which are all biblical terms, which are all throughout the New Testament and Old Testament. You can't miss them, but they're there. But people divorce themselves from that thought because uh, surely he doesn't mean that. It can't mean that. So it must mean something else. And they'll redefine it. I heard Adrian Rogers this week as he talked about Romans uh, 9. I think it's on it last week. Um, Romans 8. And um, he redefined some terms that were wrong definitions to make it fit his theology. And he didn't even use the text of what he was at. He could have just, just read it and then maybe best not to say anything, at least read it for what it is, but to read it and come back and say, this isn't what it means. That really bothers me. Does that bother you? Adrian knows now. Adrian's in heaven. <laughs> and I'm not trying to blast him, but that is very deceptive to many people in his church and all the people uh, in the world who listen to his ministry. And when he gets on that, he can be very good on many things. But I just, want, I just thought it would be interesting to see what he would say about that. And so he used the word call. The, calls, the call are the ones who make up their own decision to follow Christ. And then God calls them because He chose them. But here it says that He calls us and He chose us. We were foolish. 
<laughs> the word chosen there is um, the exact same word that is used in Ephesians 1. And we'll turn to there in a moment, Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. Paul is saying, before we were made, God saw us in our sin. He saw us as sinners, as enemies, as haters of God. He saw that it would take His favor and His favor alone on us, and we would owe nothing, I mean, He would owe nothing to us in bringing us into His kingdom. He didn't see any goodness at all in us. What did He look at? He looked at us and our sin. And then, of course, He sees His plan. He, he saw Christ at the cross, what He did. He gave us our grace and He saved us. He chose us even though we were dead in our sins, Ephesians 2 says, and enemies of God, Romans 5 says. So if that be the case, why would you be good enough to be able to make a decision on your own to follow God without Him waking you up first? How could you do that? You cannot. You cannot please God. Look at Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. My, we have so many scriptures on our side to show that. You can say, Dennis, what are we talking about this? seems like we talk about this all the time. That's where the text is at today. <laughs> and uh, Paul wants them to know the great calling that they have. If God did all this and brought you out of that deadness into life, wouldn't you want to consider and to think about how great of a work it was and don't take any boasting about it and say, yeah, but I did this. <laughs> he says, you don't have any room to boast. That's the whole point of this message today. We can't boast about it. He did it. And if you think about that, then you will want to live a life that is honoring to God. You will want to not have any boasting about your divisions in the church. As he'll go on to bring out in the, in the Corinthians some of the other things I had. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. We've been there many times. Just as he chose, and that's the same word that is used in our Corinthian passage. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy, set apart. And without blame before Him in love. That means we were with blame. And it means we were not holy. That's His whole thing. He wants us to bring us to a holiness. Having predestined us. Predetermined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of man's will. What are you guys shaking your head for? His will. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Boy, when you look all the way through there, it's all about God. All about what He did. 100% glory. I can't take 1%, half percent, one thousandth of a, of a percent. I can't take any credit whatsoever. First, first Thessalonians 1, 4. I'm not going through all of these. We've done these many times. But just to use... Now that was a word that was exactly the same Greek word that was in Corinthians. And I think that's the only two places that word chosen is done. But we'll use another word chosen that's similar to that. 1 Thessalonians 1.4 says, Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. We didn't elect God. Did we elect Him as Lord? Elect God. No. 
Your election by God. God elected you. That's a biblical term. Don't ever be afraid to use it. Use it all over the place because it is in Scripture all over the place. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't think that it's going to start upsetting somebody because if it does, maybe they need to be upset. Maybe they need to know that they were chosen by God. They were elected by Him. Behold, Romans 11, verse 5. These are just a few verses. You guys know where all these passages are at. I'm just using just a few because we don't have enough time. But I'm just trying to keep the text here. Romans 11, 5. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. The election of grace. It's all grace. By grace is no longer works, he says. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. So, a remnant of believers, the election of grace, what do you do? Now, <clears throat> go back to our text in Corinthians. And look at verse 24. 124. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, these two groups come into one body, forms the church. Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. But to those who are called, called from every tribe, tongue, nation, those who are called, He is the power of God. He's the wisdom of God. Then we look at verse 26, and we see the word, For you see your calling, brethren. For you look around and you see your election. Verse 27, But God has chosen, that's the middle of the verse, and God has chosen, Verse 28, middle of earth hath God chosen. Why did you get saved? Because you were very smart, weren't you? You were smart enough to say, hey, listen, I want to follow God. Here it is here. I'm going to hell or I'm going to heaven. I'm going to follow God. You were smart enough to do that, weren't you? And everybody's shaking their head. If you were, then now you can take credit. If you're that good. Uh, but he said he saw you in your sin. But you can say, yes, but he saved them that believed back in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. Through their own wisdom, they don't know God. But it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. They say, there it is right there. To those who believe. That's right. We do believe. That was our response. It was a channel to God. But God's part was His choosing to give you that channel so you could believe because you were dead. I listened to all the logical arguments and it just made sense and I made my conclusion. Well, yeah. Yeah, you did. But you weren't saved because you chose God. It was because of His marvelous grace. And it didn't start at the moment you said yes. It started, according to Ephesians, before He created so the result is found in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians 1, that no flesh should glory in His presence. You can't say, here I am, God. Remember me? I'm the, I'm the one that was smart enough to say yes. <laughs> you just boasted. That blows the grace thing, doesn't it? The lowly are chosen. How about the disciples? They weren't born highly. They weren't born highly cultured. They were uneducated. For the most part, they were, they were despised. They'd be despised by the world, fishermen, whatever. 
God used them to turn the world upside down. John the Baptist. Jesus said he was the greatest man who ever lived. But did you ever read any books written by John the Baptist? Did he have any formal education? Did he have impressive appearance? Did he have impressive speech? Yet Jesus said he was the greatest of men who lived. This guy, most people would have made fun of. But then whenever God's power was being used to him, people were coming all from everywhere out to the wilderness to repent. God used this man, John the Baptist. The simple, uneducated, clumsy believer is much wiser than the rocket scientist. Much wiser than all the intelligent people of the world who don't know God. If the rocket scientist is a Christian, then they both have the same wisdom. The rocket scientist might know some more things about the, the things of science and such, but we're, we're talking things that go above and beyond this. This little thing called the, the world's wisdom. Psalm 113 and in verse 7. <coughs> we get uh, a little bit of this idea. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap. That can definitely mean physical, but it could sure mean also we were needy too. We were all very needy people. We were still needy. And he, uh, he brings them up out of the dust from death to life. Look in Psalm 146, verse 8. Many passages dealing with this. We'll do a couple. Verse 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. Physically, He did that. But what's the ultimate? If He just made blind people so they could see, well, that's a nice act. But what about eternity? The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. And we know where we get our righteousness. It's from Christ, as you'll tell us later. You can think of all the great leaders of the world, the glory of the Caesars, the glory of the Tsars, the Sultans, and the Spanish conquistadors, Alexander the Great. You go on and on with those, Napoleon and Charlemagne, the shoguns of Japan, all the rest who've led their nations or the world. And they've passed on. They vanish. Might still have some memory about them. But Jesus says, the meek shall inherit the earth. The meek. The humble. The lowly. The foolish shame the wise. The weak shame the mighty. The nobodies shame the noble. God's ways are not our ways. Do you ever get discouraged sometimes? Think your life doesn't matter because your position just seems so lowly? Do you ever get so discouraged that you seem obscure, that you're not really any meaning to life? You are challenged by this scripture here today to rise up 
let's say on ESPN. Rise up! I wonder where they got that. Rise up to this calling that you have, this divine calling. It's incredible when you consider where we came from and where we are at and how other people that don't know God, which we desire to We'd be instruments used by God to bring them out of their death into life too, right? God wants to take the church. He wants to put it on display. We know in Ephesians, before principalities and powers of the world, that they may see His church in His wisdom. That's what He's doing with these people, us. There is no place for human wisdom at all in God's plan. The philosophy of the world. If you have wisdom, it's because He gave it to you. And you can use things in practical things. I'm not saying that. But there's no place for that human wisdom. I'll tell you what a philosopher by the name of Celsius thought of Christians back in 178. Back at the end of the second century, here's what Celsius said. Talking of Christians. He's a philosopher. Here's worldly wise men. Kind of reminds you of the guy out of Pilgrim's Progress. We see them in their houses their wool dresses, cobblers, the worst, the vulgarest, the most uneducated people. They're like a swarm of bats or ants creeping out of their nest or frogs holding a symposium around a swamp or worms convening in the mud. <laughs> That's what Celsus said about us. And I'm sure there was a lot of humor there, and I'm sure he got some really good chuckles, like, you know, we're laughing here, but we know what, what he's saying. But, the, but God sees the nobodies as somebodies. And I'm not just giving us a pep speech here. I'm just giving what it says here, what, what he's done. And when you move into chapter 2, if you want to go up a little bit higher which Paul does. He moves you right into something that is even far beyond our thoughts, as even this kind of stuff is. You know, this electing love thing, it's absolutely unconditional, not based upon your performance. Even though performance counts as far as our walk goes, we know that's important, but at the same time, the salvation thing, God does not rely on the wisdom of man in his great eternal plan that he's had. He says, I'm going to make up my plan and then I'm going to let men do whatever they want. If they want to come into my kingdom, they can. Um, but I'm just going to stand back. I have this plan. I'd like to get everybody in here. I, I, I don't think it's going to work. I, I hope so, but I don't know. I don't know. No, he says, I'm going to, I'm going to choose... My people, and for the most part, they're going to be well. They're simple people, so God can get all the glory. But if He had chosen nothing but kings and queens, the elite of the world, the magicians, all the great wise people, and not chosen the poor, they would say, "Yeah, that's because we're the best. God wants the best, and those people there are not." We are. Now, we never want to get into that kind of thought, do we? We could. But we're talking about these, the, the great kings. Uh, they would have gotten the glory because of the, their great intellect. And God says, no. 
I'm going to use the people that would be least likely. So I get all the blame. Like I say, it's not that he will not use politicians and people who are famous, and whether it be musicians or on and on, people in education. He uses them for his glory. But God is glorified. That, that's a purpose. That's what this purpose is all along through here as we look at point three, number 29. It's because God chose you for a purpose. He's glorified. That means, well, what about man? Well, man has been humbled. He's, he finally realizes that he is nothing in himself. And that is where we are at our best. The weak become strong when we realize it's all God. Galatians 6.14 There's no room for boasting. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. God forbid that I boast. The only thing I can boast about is the cross of Christ. That's what Paul kept talking about so much. Of course, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace we'll save that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. And then, of course, He's the one that does the work in us. Man is humble. It's a gift of God, not of works. Thus, man can boast about it. Everybody would go around boasting, wouldn't they? What Paul is saying to them is, Hey, look. Look at the purpose in salvation. All that God has done for one reason. For the glory of God. That His majestic presence would be seen. That's why He brought us into this. So in order for God to get this most glory, He made sure you had the least to do with your salvation. Do you see that? Yeah. I got saved because of God's wisdom. Bingo. That's right, isn't it? I was saved because of God's great wisdom. That's how come... I came to the Lord. The best that man can do at the highest level of his wisdom is nothing for salvation. He puts his belief. He repents. God has given that to him. God calls him to do that. He enables him to do it. He gives him the power to do it. And that heads us into right to the end of the chapter. Verse 30 and 31. With all this calling and this choosing that all the glory be given to God, he says of him in verse 30, but of him you are in Christ Jesus. There's the position. Here's where we're at. Who became for us Wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You know, in calling us, it wasn't that He would just call us and then we'd be forgiven, but in calling us, He united us into His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where we get all these things, like righteousness. Only God can graft you into the life of His Son. Put into Him. God puts you in Christ. Christ is our everything. He is the source of all. 
He is the fountain that we come to. And He chose to do this before creation. And only God can do that. He did it. Your presence today is in union with Christ. We owe it to Him for the love of God. He puts you there. He keeps you there. What kind of love is this? This is incredible. When you see that, all of the present things that are battling us, it puts those into perspective. We feel those things. We feel it for others. But my, this goes so far beyond our present dangers, temptations. Because he get first, he says, he became for us wisdom. We are put into Christ. There is the wisdom. As soon as you became Christian, the first thing you received was wisdom. Who are the truly wise in this world? Who are they? When you had that wisdom, now you could say, Yes, Lord, yes. I want to follow you. Because He gave you that wisdom. He doesn't take that wisdom away. Who are the ones who are wise? The ones who know God. Who are the truly wise in the world? They're the ones who know salvation. We're the wise. We stand as a testimony for all time that God takes the simple, humble people, brings them into His kingdom. We didn't know enough to do anything to redeem ourselves, to transform ourselves. How could we do that? We didn't know enough to do that. We didn't have the mind and the mental abilities that God has to do that. And the best of the world are the ones He has brought in, that He called, that He chose. And He made us the wisest in all of existence of human beings. We have the knowledge of His glory. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. This has to go down as one of my all-time favorite sections. Happened to be reading at the time. Verse 4, 3 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God should shine on them. For we don't preach ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Remember in Genesis? Let there be light. Same thing He does in souls. Completely dark. Let there be light who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 4 and verse 6 complement each other incredibly. That means we have the knowledge of His glory. Keep seeking that more and more and you'll just be lost in it. You are in Christ you have wisdom that is amazing. 
Ephesians 1.17. Paul prays that great prayer, making mention of them in prayers in verse 16 and verse 7. 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. We've already had the past experience if you're saved. You have that knowledge. But there's an ongoing of seeking the knowledge of God. This is eternal life that you may know Him. We want to know Him better. And then in the future, we'll have even more of a revelation of who God is. It just keeps getting more and more. But Paul prays here that they would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Christ. After he set down the first 14 verses about us being chosen by God and predestined, and he seals us, and he says, now I want you to know this. I'm praying this for you. Do you pray this prayer for other people? It's great to pray for people's health, Don't stop it. But even more important is that they would know God. And then if they know Him about salvation, that they would know Him even more, that they would seek Him out. And then if they know Him even more, that they would know Him even more and even more on top of that. It's constant. This should be the prayer for everybody in our church. It should be prayer for the lost, for the Christians, that we grow more in in His wisdom in His grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? As Peter says. Well, we're given wisdom, and then we're also given righteousness. We're right at the end here of our chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. We were put into Christ, who became us for us. Did you know that Christ is for you? He died for you. He gives all these things for you. He's on your side. You have the greatest hitter that ever lived. He bats a thousand. Never makes an out. And every hit that he has is a home run. I mean, it's perfect. So, wisdom from God and righteousness. We have his perfect righteousness. When we trust in the Son, He shares His Son's righteousness with us. Romans 4, verse 5. We have become His righteousness. And Romans 4, verse 5 says, But to Him who does not work, but believes on Him who justifies the ungodly, He justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Even though you were ungodly, all of a sudden you had the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Is that overwhelming? But yet he calls us today to be ye holy, for I am holy. So we practice that holiness, even though he's given to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Famous verse. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Christ took on all of our sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have his righteousness. 
Philippians 3.9. This should be so encouraging to us. Paul says uh, to gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Trusting in Him. The next one that he gives us is sanctification. He became for us wisdom. He became for us righteousness. He became for us sanctification. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. Think about all those. You have those. You have those present in you because the Holy Spirit lives in you. You can say, I just don't have joy. Well, the problem is, is that you're not obedient because he says rejoice always. And again, I say rejoice. He commands us to be rejoicing. You say, well, I don't feel like it because you don't know what I'm going through. And he says, here's your fruit. Here's really what's inside. Here's what you're seeing. But I want to tell you, here's what's real. It's what you don't see. See the things you don't see. Does that sound like another one of those paradoxes? Live on a spiritual plane because he said he seated us in the heavenly places when we go to pray to God where do we go to the throne room of God sanctification he is our sanctification we have the fruit of the spirit love joy peace do you have peace in your heart yeah you do but you're not recognizing it right now if you don't if you don't have peace patience you say boy I've really got to work on that I don't have any patience at all well actually you do because you have the Holy Spirit living there you're just not using the patience so I don't feel very kind today. I don't want to be kind. Well, fine, you may feel that way, but here's the real story. You are kind because you are in Christ Jesus. Good? Why should I be good? Nobody's good to me. <laughs> Goodness, it's a mark of you. It's a mark of Christ. It's a mark of Christ. You can go all up and down those fruit of the Spirit and you realize those develop. And it is like fruit. And sometimes fruit, you know, you don't see it in the spring of the season, but at the harvest time, there it is, just all in full bloom. God causes that in the fruit of the tree and also in us. He does that work. Transformed in the very image of Christ. You know, I like 2 Corinthians 3.18. You want to know why? Because it's something that I don't see. And I'm supposed to look in the mirror. The mirror is the Word of God. And when you look into the Word of God, you start seeing some things. This is how you see. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Because of that, what's happening to us? If He gets glorified, what happens to us? We are being transformed. We've already been transformed, but we are being transformed. Totally changed. Metamorphosis. Caterpillar, butterfly. We are being transformed into the same image. What image? The image of Christ. That's the whole purpose of God, that we would be in the image of Christ so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That's what's happening. It's the power of the Spirit that's doing that. He's changing you. He's transforming you. 
and he takes everything in your life, whether you like it or not, and he uses that to transform you inwardly. It's the inward man. The inward man. Verse 16 of chapter 4. This just all leads right on into the light of the glory of the gospel. Amazing things. Paul bursts forth in, in, in 2 Corinthians 4 here. And then in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. That's what's going on. You feel aches and pains in the body, and it gets harder and harder with it. And he says it's dying. And, and, and then you look at an older person who's like in their 90s. And they might be losing, lost of sight. And they can't even hardly walk around and they're in wheelchairs. But if they're Christians, yeah, their outward man is perishing. Christian, non-Christian, that happens. Yet the inward man, and this is what's important. This is what's important. This is what counts. The inward man is being renewed day by day. Your, uh, actually, your skin renews, you know, their dead cells all over the place. That's why you have stuff in your mattresses and stuff and you're cleaned it out. Part of your skin's there. In fact, if that mattress has been there for a long time, over the course of 20 years, you might have 20 pounds of skin in there. Those mattresses are heavy. Do you know that? This is from the wisdom of the world. Scientists say that. I don't know. <laughs> but we do know that our cells are dying. But our whole body's dying. And... You know, it's consequences of sin, I guess. You, know, you just look out there and you see that the fall is going to be coming. Green's going to be going away. The colors are going to be gone. And then you're going to look out in the trees. There's no leaves there at all. No color. No reds, purples. You know, green, blue. I mean, that's, I mean, there's just nothing. It's just that dead look. It reminds us what happened at sin. I was going to turn somewhere, but I forgot. The next one is redemption. We have redemption. We were redeemed. We were bought by the Lord. We were purchased from the power of sin. We were redeemed. We were purchased. Ephesians 1.14 says that. We've got to finish. It went over an hour. It's an hour and two minutes. I didn't make my goal. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. We have been redeemed and we are being, we will be redeemed. He purchased from the power of sin. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 talks about that redemption purchase. Listen, Corinthians closes out with this. Here's what all that he did. And then he says in verse 31, what's what's the purpose? That as it is written, he who glories... Let him glory in the Lord. That is what it's about. Even though we have all those benefits, we can't boast only for the fact that the Lord did all this by His grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't produce it. We didn't earn any of those benefits we just looked at. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. The boasting only goes to the glory of God. Listen, the gospel of the glory of the Lord has been proclaimed again this morning in all of our worship, in our prayers, in our readings of the Word, singing, preaching, praying. It's proclaimed and it points to the glowing, glorious wisdom 
of the Lord far surpasses anything the best that the world has to offer. He is supreme. We have one other item that we get today to proclaim His wisdom as we take uh, communion with our Lord. We proclaim that Christ is crucified. John.